Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 177, Crowdfunding Strategy on a Budget. Presented by James D'Amato, Jim McClure, and Laura Simpson. Start us off, James. Yeah, uh, let's introduce ourselves. I am James D'Amato. I am the host of the One Shot Podcast and co-founder of the One Shot Network. I also uh, am the vice president of Paracosm Press. It is a publishing company. Uh, to date, we have uh, produced one game that we kickstarted. Uh, it is called Noisy Person Cards. Uh, you haven't heard of it because we sold it to Mattel. Um it uh, and they changed the name, um, but I've also done Kickstarter projects uh, for my media network, One Shot, um, and I have managed one so far, and I'm about to head into another. Um, Jim, uh, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Jim McClure. I am the uh, also on the One Shot Podcast Network. I, I host the Talking Tabletop Podcast, uh, as well as I am the owner and lead designer of Third Act Publishing. Uh, we have done couple Kickstarters to date. We've managed a couple other Kickstarters and had several other non-Kickstarter games put out into the world. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you all about how to how to, to hopefully make money and to do it on the cheap in the, on this wonderful world that we live in. Hi, I'm Laura Simpson. I'm from Sweet Potato Press. Um, I have completed one Kickstarter. Well, I've completed a campaign for the Kickstarter uh, of Love... Uh, <laughs> uh, for <laughs> companion sale, and um, I'm getting ready for another one for Love Commander in 2018. Cool, cool. Um, and before we get started, just a quick note on format. Uh, there are some general notes that we're going to cover, and we'll be doing more questions towards the end. Um, recently at a Gen Con panel, uh, somebody pointed out uh, folks who are non-cis white men, you are socially conditioned not to ask questions that you want to ask. So have that in mind when questions come around. Uh, Maybe it's the extra like motivation you'll need to ask um, because this is here for you. Um, to get us started off, uh, Kickstarters are like a super analyzed category. There are a lot of strategies on how to succeed. And this panel, we sort of want to drill down on like doing it cheaply. You know, we're all in the games industry and we know that is not a high dollar industry. You're probably spending a lot of money beforehand on very game critical things and you don't have a ton of money left over for marketing. Uh, that's super common um, and the great thing is uh, projects still manage to get published even without that. Um, just to, to uh, reemphasize that, that point that James made and, and just to kind of get it kind of clear throughout here, and, and most of you all here probably already know this, but uh, Kickstarter is the future of indie publishing and RPGs. It is the present and it is the future. Um, this is essentially an unequivocal fact of, of life at this point, okay? If you are kickstarting, or if you want to do a social media funding campaign for your game, uh, I would highly encourage you, do not go to Indiegogo. Do not go to any of the others. There's They all have maybe perhaps fancy bells and whistles. 
Kickstarter is the way to go for now and for at least as it looks at this point the foreseeable future. A lot of our advice I think is going to be sort of to that vein because that is, I mean I'm not sure that anyone would dispute unless either one of you wanted to that Kickstarter is the way to go on it. Um, There's some other things with like Patreon which we may talk about a little bit um, which are ways to go but that is sort of the Kickstarter model is something that we're going to probably be talking about quite a lot and I wanted to get out from the beginning this is the reason why. it's, It's certainly the area of focus of expertise for yeah. the people here on the panel because we all did Kickstarters. Right. Um, so uh, the first thing before we even talk about cool new marketing techniques, uh, the thing that I want to talk about is allocation of your budget mm-hmm. and where your probably smaller uh, pre-Kickstarter budget should be spent. I think the most important purchase that anybody makes uh, for their Kickstarter as to whether or not it succeeds is your art. Um, and that isn't pay more dollars to get a better product. It is pick an artist that is uh, very professional, that has professional-looking work. Um, make sure it fits your theme, and you know have that art well represented on the page, and uh, have a graphic designer help you lay it out. Uh, that is probably going to be costly. Art is not inexpensive. You know, it is a very valuable labor. Mm-hmm. But I am on, on Kickstarter. I have backed like over you know 150 projects um, and the thing that catches my eye before anything else about the project is the art mm-hmm. uh, it's what draws me in it's what makes me click that little box and I guarantee you there are thousands of people like me who are either browsing the site or will see it in passing on an ad or whatever your art is the most important thing for selling your game yeah. Oh, and if I may add, so art doesn't just mean like the illustrations. We're talking about your headers. About uh, it's a there's a lot of uh, kind of technical graphical design that goes into headers, stretch goals. You'll see it on some of the um, more popular Kickstarters that there's assets that aren't just things that will go into your end product, but they're there to thematically brand your uh, your game. Yeah, it, it, it's the visual language that you use to tell people a story about what your game is, what your product is going to be. Um, so if you're starting that with something that looks unprofessional, something that looks like somebody who was not a professional graphic designer really tried to do and, and didn't do very well, that's their first impression of your game. And you know they're scrolling and they have thousands of other options. So with that in mind, like that is if you're going to spend budget, probably spend it there and like ask friends for their opinions and whatnot and it's probably a highly pressuring decision and I wish I could lessen the pressure of that for you but it is important um, j- just to, to obviously re- reinforce the, the points that were already made here um, uh, of course and as Demata said at the beginning that there is a lot of a lot of study that's done into Kickstarter and, and Kickstarter itself has done a lot of study to it uh, one of the, the most fascinating things uh, that they have found of course they do if anyone's familiar with like the eye tracking that they do on websites of when you launch a website what do people do with it um, the first thing that the majority of people do when they go to a new Kickstarter page is they land on it and then they immediately scroll down about three pages worth just to see what's there and then scroll back up to the top and either listen to a video or start reading it. That's how the majority of people are interacting and what do you think they're doing when they're scrolling down three pages? They're looking at the art, they're looking at the layout, they're going, all right, what is my general feel of what's going on here? Um, And now once I've got that general feel, I go back into it. Art is what sets that feel and tone. And if there's not there, then there's no tone set. 
if it's bad, then there is a tone set, and unfortunately, not in a good direction. Yeah. yeah. Laura, like your yeah. first project uh, mm-hmm. was was a success. Yeah. I, I think like there are so many reasons it was a success, but one of the big easy ones, like if you go look at the page for Companion's Tale, like you can see why it funded. Um, I, I think that is a really really good framework to work from. Yeah, and so. Thank you. Uh, but, but to not even take the whole credit, so you guys hear about how great designers steal. I, so I took my time before I even made the page, and I went and I looked at other pages that I wanted to back, other projects that I was like, oh, they've got some great ideas here, even if I didn't want the end product. But the way that they presented it was how I wanted to present myself, because it was clear. Because... Um, Part of that communication visually is you're you're telling people what type of feel you're going to give them, and if you miss the mark on that, then uh, you're setting the wrong expectations with your backers, which will be a big problem later. But also, you're not getting the people that need to see what you're offering. So it, it I I basically went through and I just wrote line for line, like note for note. Oh. This banner, I okay, I need to have these types of uh, dividers on the page. I need to have this sort of thing for the stretch goal. And also prioritizing what I knew I had budget to do. Yeah. All right, so now that we've got that out of the way, that's, that's your budget and that's budget allocation. And what I see, at least from a purely like economic standpoint of, of what your investment and focus should be. Um, I think you can you can spend money on a video. Um, I think for mid-tier to high-level campaigns, having a highly produced video is important. For lower-level campaigns, there are so many Kickstarter videos out there with like bad sound quality and like one single static shot. So don't stress yourself about the video. You should absolutely have it, mm-hmm. but like you don't need to break the bank making it. So now you've spent your dollars, and they're all gone, and we're here with no money and a project that we really want to promote. How do we do it? Um, my first piece of advice, and we'll go down the line, I think we'll each have a piece of advice. Um, I am here to champion the social goal. Uh, it's not a new innovation anymore. Uh, it's something that like you'll see on all Mark Diaz Truman projects. He wasn't, unfortunately, at this Metatopia, but he is one of the best business minds uh, in the industry. And the social goal is like such a really neat innovation. Um, before I get too deep into social goals, I will say I'm suspect of stretch goals. It's not that I think they're bad, uh, but I think the return on them uh, is significantly lower than the investment in a lot of cases, so you have to be very careful with them. A social goal, if uh, for those who are just hearing of it, is a goal on your project page that is motivated by social media and it is a marketing push that's built into the reward structure of the campaign. It's where you promise something in return for uh, exposure on social media. So if you retweet this tweet that's advertising the game and we get 100 retweets, I will do something. Um, That something can be left up to you. I usually recommend it be something that you were either going to do anyway or something that only will cost you time and it shouldn't cost you too much time. My social goals in the past has, have been, I will uh, release uh, the art that we're going to be using in the game because I've already spent the money on that art. That art is already gonna appear in the game. 
I'm generating excitement around something that's going to be part of the game um, for those who are your most invested backers, those people who really care about it, who read the whole project page. Um, it gives them incentive to like share their excitement. And them sharing their excitement is your most valuable tool. Kickstarters really uh, thrive on the backs of word of mouth. And these are just ways to incentivize and gamify word of mouth. Um, I'm going to talk a lot in this panel about how when you are making a Kickstarter page, you are telling a story. And you're bringing in people into your story in a way that they can get excited about and invested in your project. Uh, people who do social goals and whatnot are the people who will periodically check back and do more retweets and push notifications as your project nears its finishing date. I think social goals are absolutely essential. Uh, look at uh, the Masks Kickstarter. Look at uh, the, um, God, what's the enormous one? that uh, The John Wick one? <laughs> seven Seas, yeah. Boy, I sound like an idiot. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, look at Seven Seas. It's only the biggest one um, ever, James. It's fine. Yeah, look look at uh, Urban Shadows. Uh, look at really anything that uh, Mark Diaz Truman has been a part yep. of. Uh, social goals are things like you, you don't need to go super fancy on them. Like all my Kickstarters have had social goals. Um, but they are very effective. I can guarantee you that. Um, I guess in, in the vein of, of things that we're talking about, this are we going to get into like the marketing side later, then like doing podcasts and all that, or are you seeing that? Yeah, I think this uh, do one technique down the line. I okay, because um, if, if I'm going to do a technique, um, I will. I'll give a different one, even though I'm a podcaster. I'm not going to say podcasting. We'll talk about that later, I guess. Or you, or you oh, can I can have talk that. about it. Perfect. Um, an interesting technique in, in the vein of, of what um, uh, James was just talking about. Uh, you know, uh, Kickstarter is a weird, interesting engine that that you're trying to, to prime and make it run, uh, and one of the aspects to it is what I just said priming it um, people back projects that are already funded this is a reality of life the quicker that you can get to funding the more backing that you're going to get okay getting to that initial funding goal is very very important the other thing that happens with Kickstarter um, is when people go to the page and they go like oh the arts cool concepts cool I'm interested they will hit a follow button and they will not back the game, but they will get a notification 48 hours before it's over. I, I think you might get. <laughs> I think they might get other notifications as well. But the 48-hour notification, they'll a lot of them will start jumping on board. The problem is, the bigger your Kickstarter, the more all of this perpetuates itself. What you want is first-day backers. First-day backers are vitally important. And what I did with the Satanic Panic Kickstarter, which was the latest one that I did, uh, latest personal one that I did, I've managed a couple others, um, but we, we've done that's been very successful, is we went the whole, you're going to get your name in the book. You're going to all be a list of NPC names that people can pull. It's going to be a GM resource. The backers in the first 24 hours get their name in that. Even if you back at a dollar. And that doesn't cost you a thing. Doesn't cost you a thing. It gets a lot of those people that are going to like, I'm going to probably back anyway, but wait for that 48-hour notice to get their money in up front, which then again primes that engine to get it running. It costs you absolutely nothing. It's super easy to do, um, and it's something that I would highly recommend. Um, I also want to jump in really here, but right, right before we get to your okay. technique, Laura, uh, I want to dunk on a technique that I don't like very much, and that is the uh, first day discount light technique. Yeah. Uh, hey, five dollars off of the product if, if you're one of the first hundred backers. Well, your most hundred, in, like the first hundred most invested people in your project that would have paid full price have just paid partial like cost reduction. Yeah. It's a bad move. 
Yep. Um, so don't do it. Yeah, and to tag onto that, people who come later are now like, oh, great, so... I missed it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I would say uh, the technique that um, I like, I guess, the most is... Um, so it is, it is doing podcasts and just kind of... And it's not immediately around. You could do a podcast a year beforehand and you just spend time doing this media cycle and um i did i think roughly half of the ones that i uh, linked to uh the kickstarter way beforehand like just over time when people have time to do it so you're not running up on them like oh hey my kickstarter is launching in two weeks can can we get on your podcast like, <laughs> I, like you, it's just a bad time for everybody involved um, but uh, part of uh, I think overall I'm all about doing things a little bit slow and steady where you're doing things that make sense for your time frame and their time frame so that you're not rushing things but then when you launch oh snap all of a sudden you've got like four different podcasts and so, someone that um, sometimes I invite people and it's like I came out of nowhere I'm like it's just all about doing that slow turn of just, I'm going to do an interview here, I'll do a podcast there, maybe someone will write about something, and then all of a sudden, ping, bam, boom, people think that you're credible. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you've been around, they've heard your name before, they've yep. heard the name of your project before. Um, so yeah, it's okay to be in that ether and not feel like the pressure of, this has to be when the Kickstarter is happening, because it, it doesn't. It, mm. It's good sometimes, but I'll tell you, like for a show like One Shot, there are certain people who will wait till a actual play series finishes before uh, they listen to it. So if you're like only in the Kickstarter cycle, then those people are only hearing your product like information a week before the Kickstarter's finished. And sometimes people need to sit on that decision for some mm-hmm. reason. Uh, so it is it is always always helpful. Um, and podcasters love to talk. So uh, <laughs> contacting people and saying, hey, do you have time at any time? I'd, I'd love to come on your show. Targeting uh, interview and discussion shows is really great. Uh, make sure you know the product of the thing that you are asking to be on. If you ask to be on one shot for an interview about your game, that, that signals to me that you don't know what my show is. Um, <laughs> and it's like, well, you're not very, very heavily invested in me, and I'm a busy person who gets hundreds of requests like this. So. No, thank you. Um, so, you know, at least read the website. Know, know what they are before you try to do something like that. Um, and blogs, too, uh, at the same time. You know, uh, Bree Sheldon, uh, they run a really fa- fabulous blog, um, mm-hmm. and they are always happy to talk to different creators um, around. So, like, do, you know, sink yourself into the community a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Learn where people learn about Kickstarters. Um, and you, that can even be like talking to your friends who use Kickstarter going, hey, where did you learn about this one? Um, and find out where they're finding out about things so, to make sure that you can be in those places. Um, for things like that, uh, how done should your product be when you start going to those people? Um, are you, you talking about for, for going to Kickstarter or going to podcasts? Not Kickstarter, podcasts. Podcast. Like emotional type depending on what you're doing okay um to to answer that it it is if you are going to come on on my show which is an interview podcast let's pretend it's a normal interview podcast um and you're going to come on and talk about about your game um you need to be able to talk about your game in a well in a way that someone listening to it's going to go yep i want to buy that 
Okay? If you are going to go on one shot and have this game played, it needs to be in a pretty decently not doesn't have to be finished. Um, you know, we uh, John Adamus is sitting over here in the how, corner. How much change oh. did you make to companion? Oh, companion sale. Um, when I went on one shot, um, I think the only things I changed to the core game itself mm -hmm. were um, I think a few titles. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, like. It, Functional, like playtest functional. Yeah. Metatopia functional is good. Be beta test metatopia functional. Yes. Yep. Um, for, for the Kickstarter is kind of actually a funny, interesting thing. Uh, I, I heard someone someone actually uh, make the joke. It may have been Mark Diaz Truman as much as we've talked about him to the today. Um, uh, he, he goes, RPG Kickstarters, this does not apply to board games. Let me be very clear about this. RPG Kickstarters are based on hopes and dreams and promises. Um, <laughs> you know, what, 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 what comes out? Now, some people are, 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 you know, have a much more put together, and some people are pretty much in what would be focus group here and have had successful Kickstarters because for a large part people are only seeing what's presented. Now, the more you have together, the better it will always be. So I will say please finish as much of your game as humanly yep. possible. Um, and yeah, I, I maybe not even add content. Like, I, just in terms of once you're doing, once your Kickstarter is done, you have new responsibilities added on top of mm -hmm. what you already so have. It's so stressful. It's, it's unbelievably stressful. And, like, if you have to finish the game on top of that, yeah. it, it's just not... You're not doing yourself a good turn. Yeah, even making new content. We're talking about nights and weekends of your time. And you're now you're in the customer service cycle. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly... You're talking to your backers. You're reassuring them that you're not running off their money to another country. And... It's <laughs> you know you're doing all the things I and you also have to finish writing. <laughs> Hello Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> See you on three weeks for the next one. Right. This gentleman had a question. So follow up to his. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a Facebook group that talks about trying to work in Kickstarters. Okay. And, um, you know, one of the things that they have talked about is you know, like getting on podcasts, getting on on different like review shows. Um, If you're here at Metatopia, you know, having a, a beta tested game, mm -hmm. you know, is great. Yeah. But are there different shows or, or uh, you know, how can you figure out which shows, podcasts, videos, whichever, are willing to look at your stuff in that format versus the proof copy from your manufacturer? Uh, I wish there was an easier answer to this. The, the, the hard truth is you got to ask. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you contact them. You say, I have my mostly finished game, whatnot. The, I, I say, as I said before, do your diligence before you reach out. Um, but there are so many podcasts that are discussion shows where you can go, hey, I'm making a game about steampunk alternate histories. Uh, how would you like to do a GM advice uh, segment where we talk about building an alternate history. Uh, that way you come in as a subject matter expert. You don't need to have your game finished. You just need to have the pitch of your game and go, yeah, uh, it, it's uh, Steam Lords, and it's about uh, steampunk and alternate history, and you know that's, that's my area of expertise. And that's why like a year later, when Steam Lords comes out, they go, oh yeah, I heard that about that on Misdirected Mark. Um, and you have to reach out to the show. You have to like know the format. Go, hey, you guys are a discussion show. I've got a topic and an area of expertise. Can I be on? But that's genius. Because I, I that's that. why I'm here and you're yeah. there. <laughs> oh my god. God damn. 
<laughs> God damn, Damato. <laughs> Uh, let's, well, okay, I was going to go to, like, all right, time for a Jim McClure hard truth, but after that, I don't know if I can, all right, uh, but no, I, I was going to say, uh, here, here is a, a hard, cold, hard reality, um, that, that has to be faced, um, our basic concept to have a successful Kickstarter campaign, there's only two components to it, and that is having, getting people to go look at your Kickstarter page, and your Kickstarter page getting them to hit the back button. These are only two components. Again, there's plenty of production stuff, game design stuff. That's every other panel that's here, okay? These are the only two things that we're worried about. When we're talking about trying to get people to your Kickstarter page, you have to know where those people are. You have to be involved in your community to do that. And that's the cold hard reality. You cannot design outside of your community and go, it's time to kickstart community, I have arrived. Because no one cares and a lot of people do that. Um, you have to know the podcast, you have to know the blogs, you have to be inactive. Coming to things like Metatopia here is is one of the best steps you can do. You have to be engaged with the community so you know how to reach them, interact them, and so they already know you. Or hire somebody to do that for you. But again, this is about not having a budget. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, like, honestly, with the campaign sale, so it kickstarted this past February. But before that, I've been to three Metatopias beforehand, like saying, hey, you guys want to play my game? And going to other people's games and talking to them and talking about the game and talking to anyone who listened to me about the game and then having them tell me about what they're excited about. So I spent all this time like having this back and forth and this, then when I walk through, people are like, Laura, I heard you on Backstory Podcast. I'm like, Okay. Hey. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's just constantly being engaged in your community and forming that community of practice. In fact, where you, it's it's um, the game reflects so many conversations that I've had with different people in this community, and um, and when they see that exchange and when they see, oh, I I remember that conversation I had with her, and she folded it in, and they see how they're a part of the game, and it's not just me showing up with this. I'm done. Let's just like print this, giving me your money, right? That's uh, that. That's not that relationship. Instead, it's just this kind of kind of give and give and take, back and forth thing, and that really helps build up your audience because now you have people that follow you on Twitter. There are people that follow you on G Plus, and you you're already rooted in the community. Um, now let's get into because this is trending towards uh, a big overarching point about Kickstarters, and that a lot of it is built on personality. Um, mm. Uh, you know, being in the community means people know you as a personality. Uh, and let's face it, a huge part of Kickstarters is trust. And you know, people trust people that they feel they know or people that feel familiar. Uh, so you know, I, as a podcaster, have a better chance at uh, funding a Kickstarter than you do as a game designer and person who is good with numbers. You, objectively, a better person to run a business. Me, a person that people listen to often. Um, and that, that will trump every time. So the question is, uh, how do I develop a personality and capitalize on, on having a personality? Uh, one of the most genius Buckwild moves that we're, we're going to see how this pans out in a year, uh, Hannah Schaefer and her design partner Evan Rowland uh, pitched us a show for the OneShot Network called Design Doc, where uh, they are documenting making a second edition of Questlandia. Uh, they're for the next year going to be talking about their design process in like an open public way and at the end of that year they will launch a Kickstarter so they are going to build up an audience of hundreds of people who are probably even thousands of people because I'm pushing them 
uh, who specifically care about this design and who are being told the story of this design and will be deeply invested in that design story when it hits Kickstarter. Uh, that is something that you don't need my help to do. All you need is like a microphone and you can make your own podcast. It doesn't have to be specifically about your design. It can just be about you and your design partner or your best friend or whatever talking about games. Uh, I know you sound like, oh, man, it would be weird. I don't think anybody would listen to me. Uh, smaller podcasts have, you know, like 30, 40 listeners. Imagine if those people became backers on your Kickstarter project. That is a huge percentage of your total backers. Like, uh, you know, a, a good Kickstarter is getting 500 backers. That's 10%, friends. 10% of your total backer list having access to you on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. That's enormous. That's how you build a personality. Now, the secret technique about capitalizing on personality that I'm going to drop on y'all right now. See this purple hair here. Uh, this purple hair represents a Kickstarter that was funded two weeks early because I said, if you guys fund my Kickstarter two weeks early, I will dye my hair the color of your choosing. Uh, going to a salon, getting this dyed, $200. Uh, but boy, howdy, uh, the like, I think like $4,000 I went over my goal because I funded two weeks early. That was worth it. Um, <laughs> that's a huge profit. Um, and tax deductible as well. <laughs> so it's uh, like, it, it's creating that personal relationship. You know, you can, you definitely have been in those situations. Like for a charity event, you can shave your boss's hair or whatever. If you're the type of person who is a personality in the community that like somebody would go, I would, I would give like $25 to see that person like cut their hair weird or like do something. It, it, and it can be like, I'll dress up as a weird animal monster or something. Like it can be a very weird personal goal, but if you have a personality, you're gonna hook them in. Uh, scientifically, I think this would have been better suited as a stretch goal um, than an early push goal, uh, but it works. Um, it's very nice hair, James. Hey. Uh, <laughs> Do you have I can't. I thought you had something yeah, to jump no, on. Yeah, uh, no, tag, go ahead. Um, one of the, the key, I want to make two key points off of what James said on this, because uh, some of you may be thinking, like, I don't, like, in public, no. Um, and I don't want to do that. Um, the One of the important things is to understand um, there is very, very few, there's a few hyper-talented people, I think one of them might be to my right here, uh, that are capable of pretty much doing a Kickstarter themselves. Um, I, I honestly don't know how much you have a team and how much you did. I know majority of it was you. Was it all you? Oh, well, except the I, I'll enjoy the praise, but I will say, uh, Dev Parker Asa, who's also part of the Sweet Potato Press imprint, does a ton of work. Right, and and this is where, where I was going with that. If almost everyone has a team, whether that team's two people or that team's five people. Again, there's some super hyper talented people that are actually capable of doing everything, but um, within everything that needs to be done to put out a game, you, you need a designer, you need a uh, layout, you need a um, uh, an art manager, uh, you, you, you need uh, a writer, you need an editor, um, you know, you, you need a marketing person, you need a face person. These are, and there's a list that's much, much longer than that. You need all of these in your team. Okay. Um, 
the face person, the person that is the public face of your product, uh, that is an important aspect to your team. Whether that is you or whether that is not you doesn't matter, but it needs to be someone. Um, so as you're thinking about this, don't be going like, I mean, uh, uh, because he, he's big enough, I don't ever, <laughs> ever, ever mind talking crap about him. Monty Cook, as a wonderful success as he is, is the worst face that anyone has ever had because he's, if you've ever seen him talk, he's not a very charismatic guy, He's and he's very introverted. I mean, that, that's what it comes from. Um, you know, he can't really be the face. Now, his name holds a lot of weight these days, uh, but essentially his face is the products that he's done. But he, if he was in the shape, he couldn't do that, and that's why he has other people that are out there doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, Darcy Ross, Shannon Germain. Exactly. Those are people that you can build, like, an empire on. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so that is something to think about. And then the other aspect that I just want to touch on briefly that Jim was saying, uh, just to explicitly state it, um, a crowdfunding campaign, especially at the level of essentially anyone in this building, is a personal connection with the backers. Okay, um, And that's why this face is important. That's why him dyeing his hair is important. Uh, for those that know me, that my, my business partner made, made a joke actually the other day. He goes, you know what would really drive Kickstarter backers? Tell them if they all kicked in an extra 10 bucks, you'd rip up your L5R book on a live stream. Ooh, God, that people would do it just to hurt me because yeah. people are monsters. But but there is that level of connect. I mean, you heard half this room just went, ooh. And like, there is that connection. Um, I, I will point out with this hair thing, I played heel. Uh, when totally. it came to like dyeing my hair, uh, I was like, yeah, if you fund it two weeks early, I will dye my hair. I said, you will never achieve this. <laughs> I will have brown hair by the end of this Kickstarter. That is a guarantee. And people had so much fun tearing me down. Um, and that is like a story that you're telling right. them. You're, you're telling them, hey, you are the heroes who conquer this idiot who's insisting that he's in control of his own hair. Because, um, yeah, I mean, as I say, and, and the important side of it is is people uh, people who are backing a Kickstarter, they are not buying a loofah at Walgreens. They are not walking down it going, oh, I need that, I guess, in the cart. <laughs> this is, a to some degree, a personal connection, and you have to realize and understand that as part of the, the marketing. Yeah, and also afterwards. So, at post-Kickstarter, you'll run into people, and they want to talk to you, and it's... Um, it's an opportunity for you to make that personal connection and talk to them about, hey, this is stuff that's going on. This is what's happening. I'm really happy that you backed this. And it's it's an ongoing relationship. So from now on, there's going to be people I'm going to be talking to about the Kickstarter and also the game and what's coming next. Yeah. So. We've probably got seven more minutes before we need to open up to Q&A. Okay. okay, yeah. Before we open to Q&A, I want to add uh, one more cheap technique. Uh, that's really great. Collaborators and uh, you know guest writers and whatnot. Uh, plenty of pages will have you know the author pictures, and then you scroll down more, and there's like pictures of all these game industry people who are doing two to five hundred words worth of writing on this project. But their their names are on that page, and and they'll tweet about, hey, I was involved in this thing. Uh, can you afford to pay someone to do uh, five hundred to a thousand words worth of writing at five cents a word? Probably, probably, and you know, if that is your good friend Ken Height that you made at Metatopia this year, because he's easy to make friends with and he loves making friends, um, if, if he has time to like come in on your Kickstarter, for him it's going to be like 12 cents a word. Uh, but you know, th there are people who already have their own followings, who have their own successful Kickstarters, uh, who are your friends and they'd love to help you and uh, are always looking for work because they chose games as a passion. That was a mistake. 
Um, so uh, it, it's a great way to get someone to look at your page. I don't know that uh, there's anyone out there who gets converted to a Kickstarter purely based like, oh, I have to do it if Alex Roberts is writing for this. I absolutely have to back. It will be, I have to look at this thing that Alex is involved in, and then your page should do the rest of the work. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot one more thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I launched my Kickstarter right on the day of Dreamation, and I funded that entire day. Just, like, timing is really important. So if you have the time to set everything up, then doing it at the right time could just knock the entire domino set over. Launch your project on Tuesday? Tuesday. For whatever reason, that Tuesday. is a good launch day. Um, you launch your project on Tuesday morning, late morning, early afternoon. If, if I see, I will, I will have an Andrews, and if I see another Kickstarter launch at 10 o'clock on Sunday evening, I have seen many of these, and then they go, I wonder what happened. What your the reason the honest you made, reason you made your is, day one look weak and it wasn't as as everything we've talked about on this um a, a Kickstarter is a personal connection it it is a social connection to the community you need to launch on the days that the community is socially active and those days the highest are Tuesday Wednesday Thursday also don't launch your Kickstarter at Gen Con uh, a lot of people do that. It seems like a good idea because, like, hey, I'm at Gen Con. I can pass out postcards and really get my messaging out. Yeah, yeah they're, they're buying something else. And a large <laughs> portion of the alpha gamers that are played, the people that will be early adopters of your game, go to Gen Con. They're busy. They're not yep. looking at their Kickstarters. And which one of the, of the year is better? Like, D- Debatable. I mean, but, the, the, like, uh, be sure to... And you probably missed the tax panels if, if, if you're thinking that there is a discussion. Yeah, there's like this is money that is allocated for a project that will begin next year, so there's a tax like uh, shelter for for that. Yeah, sort other of thing. than that, doesn't matter if you do it. Yeah, talk do, to your accountant. But yeah. on on a general sense, and I know we're about to open up to Q and A. Uh, do not kickstart in December. December is a dead zone. Yeah. January is honestly a little rough. Um, there's some hit and miss because it is it is low on that. There are some popular. I'm going to tell you, uh, March and April and September October are really good times, but I watched October 1st, seven Kickstarters I knew were coming launched on October 1st. So it shifts. Um, It comes in waves. Competition versus optimal timing. Exactly. And there's spreadsheets out there where people kind of announce when they're launching. Yep. So it is always going to be a bit of a moving target, although I would say do avoid December. December, just holidays, family, people are not paying attention to, to that kind of stuff. All right. When you oh. said you, lo- oh, I'm sorry. Go, when you yeah. said that you launched at Dreamation, were you here at Dreamation? I was. Uh, so I, just to kind of rewind, I think I, I launched the morning of. So it's like mid morning. Um, I basically showed up, stack of postcards, went around, and also, so it's not just like it, I flicked the switch and and stuff happened. I also sent emails to everyone that I knew everyone that playtested my games, like I like it's a lot of groundwork you lay beforehand and then you're like, hey, this is happening. And then when you flip the switch, it's on. And then just kind of working all those social networks that uh, have been laid down. And that's kind of a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think, I mean, I guess we're gonna officially yeah, open up to Q and yeah. A at this point. I think that was the hand that went up first uh, and we'll come so to you. Related to launching on Tuesday, I've also heard it's good to end on a Thursday. Yes, absolutely. 
Mystery. Okay. <laughs> I think. But you would agree with the statement that it's a good day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's again the 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 reason you end on a Thursday, and you're gonna end your you're you're gonna launch your. <laughs> here's the all right. Here's Jim McClure coming into it. Okay, you're gonna launch your Kickstarter at 10 a.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, and you're gonna end it at 10 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. Okay. There's the formula. You want to try and break it, go try and break it. There's the formula. Let's make it real simple. And the reason being is, uh, again, Tuesday is a very social media active day. Okay. Um, the next two days are the following two most social media active days. At, we mentioned this earlier. At the end of your Kickstarter, anyone who hit follow, and you're going to have no idea what that number is because Kickstarter does not tell you, which is horrible, but it does not. Horrible. They get an email when you are 48 hours out from the end of that Kickstarter. 48 hours to the minute that email goes out. What you want them to be is the days that they are engaged and interested in doing that. So that email goes out then when? Tuesday evening. And they have those social media days to follow through to the end. And that is why those are the days and times. And again, if you want to walk out this room and say, Jim, you're wrong, go right ahead and try. Um, that is the formula. I would highly recommend following it. Honestly, the hours, are, I'm being a little bit pedantic when I say the hours are, are, are that important, but early mid-morning, yeah. early mid-morning for, for the launch on a Tuesday, uh, late afternoon, evening for the for the close on, on Thursday. Yeah, and if, hey, if you're a social media person, if you, like, look at Facebook or you look at Twitter, um, you know, maybe keep in mind, like, hey, when am I looking at these? Um, yep. That will play into it a little bit. We were here, and then we were here. Um, how soon before your Kickstarter, once you decide the date and time you're going to launch and everything, should you start telling people, hey, it's launching as soon in as a you month, can. in a week, but like how frequently? I don't want to be like, hey, it's in a month, it's in four weeks, it's in three weeks, it's in two weeks, it's in a week. Like, I don't know. Maybe not every day, but at least it's a week. I don't I, I, I hit most of my networks like two weeks beforehand. Like, but then again, very small operation. Yeah, uh, I'm not even promotional stuff, more just your I, specific mailing list. I, I wanna I wanna oh, break okay. down that that concept okay a little bit um, to, to dissect what you're talking about because um, it's an important thing that I want you to think about I'm not saying you're necessarily projecting this exact idea but I know a lot of people have and that is you're a designer you're about to go into probably one of the most stressful events of your life up until this point because trust me a Kickstarter is okay and what you're worried about is getting this thing funded it's why on the last day of Metatope in the afternoon this room is packed okay these are things people are concerned about I've done four or five of them at this point and I'm gonna be terrified the next one I do and the one after and the one after you are focused on I need people to back my Kickstarter. If you are going out to your audience and going, my Kickstarter's coming back it, my Kickstarter's coming back it, my Kickstarter's coming back it, you are losing the engagement that you should have built up. The engagement needs to be, yes, my Kickstarter's coming. Oh, this piece of art came in right before it. Oh, we just got the character sheet. I can't wait for you all to see it on the first one. You need to keep the dynamic of you are regularly engaging, and you should be regularly engaging, but that engagement should not always be sell, sell, sell. Yeah, Jim's right. It, it should provide new information. It should provide a new reason to be excited. Um, but, you know... Just send out an email say you're excited. Easy like, to fabricate. And actually, uh, uh, this gentleman... I'm sorry, what was your name? Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy touched on a really good thing. Uh, mailing lists. Yep. MailChimp's free, folks. Mm -hmm. um, you, you are here doing tests and whatnot. Collect emails. Be like, hey, do you want to be notified when the project goes live? And pop them into uh, your MailChimp mailing list. Doesn't cost you a thing. Uh, you can also tweet, hey, uh, I'm, I'm doing this Kickstarter. If you like me on this podcast, whatever, this is the mailing list. Um, have that. It's great. 
uh, you probably won't get a ton of conversions, but like again, it gives you an idea of, I have a hundred people who are so engaged, they agreed to be emailed, which is actually huge. Because um, nobody likes reading email. Nobody. <laughs> um, so, uh, John, over here. I, I know why Thursday. Ooh. Oh. Okay. No, I actually don't um, know. This is great. Because yeah. Kickstarter takes X number of days to get you the money. And if you close on any other day, you are adding weekends to that timeline. Uh, you are delaying the time you get the money. And if you need the money to act on it for manufacturing or paying bills or perhaps you want to buy a MacBook Pro because you want to celebrate actually funding your Kickstarter, uh, you want to do that. Oddly cool. specific, John. business and calendar-wise, because they operate on two different business days and calendar day schedule, so you don't have weekends in the way. Yeah, That's why you end on Thursday. People will email you immediately going, so what's it like? And you're like, I get that money in 14 days, 14 days. you jerk. Um, uh, There's one back there. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah. And then we'll come to Jackie. Um, for your mailing list, do you regularly send out emails before the Kickstarter, during, after, or are you just like, we're live, Mailing list, I do week before, get ready, and I also put in a plea like, hey, when it launches, uh, if you want to see it happen, please talk about it and share it. Um, I don't know if that works, if, that, if that's better than, than not saying that, but that's what I do, and then uh, day of. And, uh, and yeah, and to, to give you give my take on it, um, what we do in Third Act Publishing is we do essentially once a date's been set however far in advance three months in advance a month in advance whatever it is email goes out like this thing is going to happen um then what we do is we do a social media push about uh three weeks to a month before being like hey this thing is really coming out here is the email list to sign up for there's going to be big information announced there and typically what that will be is the first play test packet coming out or something like that that i'll email out two weeks prior to the kickstarter going live uh at that point i will send a week one out uh, and then i will make one or two contacts before now again the important thing that i want to note if all of these things that are these are points of contact not go back my kickstarter these are in levels of engagement that i am having with this audience if you hit someone over the head that many times of my kickstarter's coming back it it's going to get real annoying and people are going to get very unhappy if you are engaging with them like, hey, we sent out the playtest packet, and hey, I hope you all got the playtest packet, we got some awesome feedback, here's what people are already saying about it, now I'm engaging and getting them involved with it and being able to make more points of contact. An area where you have uh, more flexibility with that is Twitter. Yes. Twitter is like a lot more disposable communication, um, so it's okay to uh, three times a day uh, post about your Kickstarter as you approach it, um, but do it at different times. Uh, you want one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the evening, because people look at Twitter uh, different times. There is a crowd, me, who is like on Twitter all the time, and you will probably hit them a lot, but they scroll right past, and it's fine. Um, back here. Yeah, uh, we had Jackie. And then we'll... Oh, Jack, yeah, first. Um, so uh, I'm trying to figure out if I'm an odd outlier in this, or if I'm part of a trend, and do you... Do you think or in your experience that there's any importance to the week in the month that you start your Kickstarter and the week that it ends? Because I find that, for me anyway, I'm more hesitant to back something, like unless I've decided long ago that I was definitely backing it, um, I 
I'm, I'm slightly more hesitant to back something that I know is going to end on the first week of a month because oh, that's when rent. my rent comes out. Yeah. Oh, like. That's a good point, and I hadn't thought about that. That's great. <laughs> I had to cancel a few Kickstarters because it was like, well, rent's due. Nope, sorry. I, I know people who look at the bank account first before they buy a game. Yeah, I mean, that that's true. Uh, it gets a little hairy with Kickstarter because they think when they back they're spending the money, but it's actually when the Kickstarter comes to fruition and spending mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of confusion that surrounds it and it's very nerve-wracking. But uh, Jack made like a hugely excellent point. Yeah, uh, consider rent. Um, yeah, and, and, and to that degree, I mean, I, I don't know. that I've never seen anyone have any put any data forth on that or make any statements on it in, in relation to... Kickstarter doesn't do a goddamn exit survey <laughs> when you cancel a pledge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the the handling the mentality of why did four people cancel today? Ah! I did nothing different. Why did you leave? <laughs> why do you hate my hopes and dreams, you person? Um, but that's another panel for another day. And we're here with the question, uh, the woman green in the back, and then up here, and then over here. Oh, oh you got it nope. answered? Great. Oh, uh, you sir. I, and then we'll... I don't know if I'm maybe going too much off topic, but I would like to pick your brain a little bit on this question I have about our Kickstarter. I, I want to publish my game in both languages. I'm, I'm from Mexico. I'm doing it in Spanish and in English. Cool. So we're still at this conundrum of if do we do just one Kickstarter with both languages on it or do I do one? Yeah. You yes. want one because you will look more powerful. Yes. Um, if, if both language both languages are feeding into it. Um, uh, that that does mean uh, the, the the rub of it is that might mean that his goal is higher. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, you you've got some of that on there. Um, but but the reality is is as we we've kind of talked about, Kickstarter is an exponential growth machine. That is, and as weird as it is to say, and what I mean by that is, uh, if you can bring in a thousand dollars from your friends, a thousand dollars of other people's money is going to find it. Uh, if you can bring in $10,000 from your email list and all that, $10,000 is going to find it, another 10000 on top of it. The bigger you can make it with your reach, with your social media, the bigger and bigger it's going to get. When you start cutting these up, when you start going, oh, I need to do different smaller ones, then your, your total is going to be significantly smaller than that because it doesn't have that perpetual motion to it. What? And we've got, well, we have a right, sequence right, of questions right here. Before, but My question to you is how much more does it add to do both languages? Do you I'm know? actually already developing in both languages. Oh, so cool. it's... So I'm writing in Spanish okay. and then translating. So yeah. The <laughs> only reason that you wouldn't do one at the, like both at the same time is if it was going to add like a couple thousand more to your goal. Um, if it doesn't add anything to your goal, make it all one project. Yep, yep. Even even then, even if it was, I would still try to do it as yeah, one. I mean, there's, there's concerns, there's concerns. Right. Yeah, but like that. Well, see, there you go. That that's the thing is you are that that adds money to your project. So you need to yeah. figure out how much money that is. If it's ten thousand dollars, it might be worth splitting them up. If it's five, it's like two to five thousand dollars for both. For both uh, like for both, then it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and it, it depends on what printer you're using too, because there's a lot of print-on-demand right. services. Like if you have five hundred backers and one hundred of them are Spanish language backers. 
you could probably fulfill through drive-through RPG print-on-demand for those mm -hmm. and do everything else uh, through a traditional printer or um, vice versa if you've got like And if you've got on the question of the business side of it, which is a little off-topic on this, um, as much as we love to talk about it because we do, uh, grab us afterwards. We'll be happy to. But we have a sequence of literally three questions, and we got ten minutes left. Um, I, I've been trying to drum up interest about my games. Mm -hmm. um, I have a blog, but I also... Try to, to use prefundia. Is that worth it? I to mean, use what? I'm sorry. Have you ever heard of prefundia? Never heard no. of it. Okay, so that's a good sign. Yep. <laughs> that's a good wasted half hour. Um, and, and that, that's what it goes to. Of, of you know, we kind of talked a little bit about it before. Of, and it's why I said at the beginning. I mean, my big proclamation. I go, you're going to use Kickstarter to fund the fund this thing. Uh, there's avenues with Patreon, some of the others, but if, especially with any sort of crowdfunding, if you're not using the biggest boy on the block, you are cutting your audience down significantly. No, exactly. I've never even heard of that. Prefundia is basically a page where people post about projects that are going up on Kickstarter. Oh, okay. No. Um, and I'm sure there's nothing wrong with it. It's something I'm unfamiliar with, and obviously it seems like the panel's unfamiliar with as well. There, I mean, there could be a community. Though. Sure. I don't, I don't want to dissuade you. Just make, It's probably less important than like social media, like Facebook, right. Twitter, or whatever. Right. Uh, you're the next one. What are your feelings about dropping your funding level so you can have a higher percentage? No. Wait, <laughs> wait, 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 hold on, hold on. fully ask that question for me. Okay, so some, I, I have seen some Kickstarters where they'll say they're only trying to raise like $1,000, so in the first day they'll hit their fully funded, which would then lead other people, oh yeah, mm -hmm. they funded some, when their amount may be more. Go ahead. So, uh, mm, I I have a deep mixed feelings about doing that. I would lean towards not. Um, my uh, initial goal was, I think, fifty five hundred, and that was me assuming that I was going to be using um, like Game Crafter. They're going to do all the like uh, shipping, and it was going to be expensive. But I could do it really small. It would be like on demand. But I had a plan for doing shipping from China and. To, um, printing like 1,500 yeah, 1,500 copies so, you know, I have plans for those but my minimum goal was to definitely if I need to get this project done to fund it fully and I wouldn't want to place myself in a situation where oh, well you funded but you only got $1,000 so if you actually want this to happen, you're now out of pocket yeah, yeah it's no. I, I, I want to re really strongly second that opinion. Um, of th there, there is a balancing act being played because you want that funding goal as low as you can possibly get it mm -hmm. for the reasons that you said. Hitting 100% funded is an important thing to get more and more people to back. However, I would never ever recommend you to have that goal be so low that you could not do the project. It's A, it's very dis disingenuous to the backers themselves um, and you want to respect them and respect their time. Um, but B, you are setting yourself up for failure. If you are going to Kickstarter, you are making a business decision to go to Kickstarter, you can put your game up, your PDF for free up on DriveThruRPG all day long. Um, you are making a business decision and having to go in the hole to do it is a bad business decision to make um, so my my goal and, and to extrapolate the example out uh, again satanic panic the la last Kickstarter that I ran it was uh, the minimum funding for that was was that five thousand or ten thousand I should know that but ten thousand ten thousand um, was the minimum funding for that um, I in my mind I wanted to do a full color interior full color cover uh, hardback book okay uh, that is not going to happen at ten thousand dollars so how it was set up I go I want to do this book 
At $10,000, it is a black and white interior soft cover book. If we hit these different levels, we're going to get up to what I want it to be. So that way I can keep my funding goal low. Because even though I really want to have a very nice, pretty hardcover book, if I put $20,000 at the funding level, I am going to struggle to get there. If I can get it down to $10,000, which I was comfortable hitting and I hit in the first day, um, you know, then I'm confident that I can continue to build that and then the book can get to where I want it to be. And worst case scenario, it doesn't get there. No one's going to judge me on they only got a soft cover book because they all saw exactly what the stretch goals were. Yeah. Um, so that's some of the stuff. We had a question here and then here and then here. We'll see as many as we can get to. So it's a follow-up actually to kind of the last three, which is how small is too small though on the other end? So yes, there's the putting yourself at a level where yes, I can put out this project. Well, let's say the project isn't something like uh, a book or a larger board game where it's a very small card game that costs pretty much nothing to put together comparatively to the other projects. What is too low? Uh, you mean too low of a goal? Like too low of a goal because you can't make it. Yep. You can't make it with just the money from the Kickstarter. No, let me oh. let me let me rephrase. What I mean is, when you're scrolling through, I've hmm. occasionally seen you know the projects that have exceeding like you know they want to print like ten copies of this thing and they don't really care. What is too low of a number where people are just going to gloss over it as looking like an unprofessional oh. project? Even though realistically, it's like I only need five hundred dollars to print a gazillion copies of this. Yep. No time limit. This is the last panel. No, oh, go ahead. Cool. Okay. Did, did you, either of y'all had to run to me? Anything no, no, I have time. Because based on the questions, it sounds like we're going to go a few minutes over. Anyone who's welcome to leave when we hit it can, but based on the questions, I think we'll, if y'all are cool, yep. we'll, we'll answer what we have. I think my answer for this, what amount of money would you uh, feel really stressed out about for a bill? Like $500? That's reasonable for someone to believe, well, he wouldn't have that without the Kickstarter. I mean, the, the other thing is, like, if you're thinking in terms of scale, those small games where they're going to do a print run of, like, 50 things, they're not thinking of it as a business prospect. Sure. Um, so it, it doesn't matter because it is small. But if you're thinking of this as a business investment, then, you know, do what it takes to make this a business thing. Do, what, what I did for, for my Kickstarter, which probably is unnecessary, is the profits that I made from the Kickstarter... Uh, would be enough to fund uh, to to cover producing twice the amount of units, yes. and the sales from that would cover a second print. Yes, price. yeah, okay. and that's same thing. Business side stuff, but I so wholeheartedly agree. Um, John, did you want to add something yeah, to that yeah, very point, uh, real quick? The formula is cost of, cost of lowest end production that you're satisfied with plus one half of your best paycheck. Mmm. Oh, so I like if that. You're, if you're happy to say, oh, I produced a thing. And I, I, if you first of all figure out how much you deserve to be paid overall, mm -hmm. like I have done six thousand dollars. We're all making numbers up, right? I've made six. I'm worth. Six, I need a paycheck of six thousand dollars to justify my time spent and labor, right? You take half of that, three, and you add it to the cost that it would take to produce the lowest quality material that you'd be happy with handing to someone else. Combine those two together, and that's your low end goal number. And then you keep in the back of your head, unspoken, like what I refer to as the magic number, the number that you need to hit because you have all these plans for how the book looks, you want to buy that MacBook, you have you know, something you want to do. And you oddly specific. Oddly specific. But you start accruing up so that when you hit that number, you throw your own little magic happy party that no one knows about why you're extra excited. <laughs> it just sounds like, oh my god, I hit $28,500. <laughs> and then you go to you know, 31 and 38 and 40, and you're like, oh, I've made like, What do I do with the extra, extra money? So it's, one, it's uh, lowest quality product plus one half your paycheck. 
Alright, uh, you had a question, and then yes. we'll get back to you. Uh, shipping. So, how did you work shipping as far as how the backer had to deal with it, and then how did you actually handle shipping the product? Um, uh, let me plug you. I use <laughs> shipping services because I am not someone who packs things and writes addresses down. This man here uh, runs a Kickstarter fulfillment service. Uh, that is it still 7%? Uh, individual details are negotiated. Individual details are negotiated <laughs> based on project size, but uh, he will run... Solely based on how many nice things you say about L5R during the meeting. That's what's uh, the, just so you know. He will run... samurai. Yeah. <laughs> he will run fulfillment for you. And, and even more than that, his service also kind of helps co-run your Kickstarter and promote your Kickstarter. Uh, that is a huge weight off your shoulders. If you are not a person who knows a lot about logistics... I would go with the fulfillment service. Mm -hmm. There is the cost-effective and service-heavy side of Jim. Uh, there are the more expensive and less featured options like uh, black box games uh, or, or black box. It's at blackbox.cool. They also do a fulfillment service. They're that Cards Against Humanity company, um, and I think Backer Kit also does it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I would use one of those. I haven't done it without that. Um, but if you're probably if you're only shipping out a hundred or a couple hundred units, like you can probably do it yourself. Um, yeah. Just charge more than you think you need. Did you? Oh yeah. yeah. So I, I have an exciting shipping <laughs> situation. <laughs> um, so uh, um, with companion sale, uh, we folded shipping in for domestic uh, backers, and. Uh, so we sat down and ran numbers. We ran a ton of numbers. We, we contacted a bunch of distributors to find out how much it would cost to do international shipping because we want to have international shipping available. And some of the numbers were a little bit scary. So we, really scary. we, we basically decided, okay, so our international backers, sorry, we care about you, but we don't really want to be holding the bag on this. So we tacked on shipping to um, their back... Uh, uh, to their, um, I lost my word, uh, to whatever they backed. So if they paid for it externally, and we then we looked at ways that we could improve things uh, via backer kit and grouping things together, but it's it's been a long slog, and we're using a, a distributor. Yeah, um, the, the, the uh, distribution side of it is, uh, I'm going to tell you this, if, if you're going to do international shipping in any kind of numbers, it is a nightmare. Uh, Jim McClure is, is a very calm, nice human being. You all have probably met me. Uh, a couple times a year, he loses his damn Irish temper, and one of those was in a shipping facility for USPS uh, where I had four different managers with three different opinions on a binary result, and at that point, Jim McClure had had enough. Um... <laughs> It is, as odd as it sounds, shipping is a skill. Um, and that sounds insane. Like, I should go to a place and then pay you money and you ship my product. There's actually a skill that goes into how you package it, what to package, the size to be aware of. It is legitimately a skill that I have learned the wonderful hard way. It's a um, job. It, it you ain't kidding. If you are going to do international shipping, uh, prepare for it, is what I'm going to say. And prepare for disasters and prepare for th many of things to go wrong. Um, but I want to touch on, because we're not really in a business-like thing here. Um, again, if you all are interested in that, as D'Amato said, I do that as a service. Come talk to me. Um, but uh, from a Kickstarter perspective, from a marketing perspective, uh, which is kind of what we're talking about on this particular panel, um, 
I I have not had I have individually charged for shipping, uh, and, and I'll, I'll get into exactly what that means in a second for all of my Kickstarters. Some people wrap it in together. Um, some people will be like, oh, it's twenty dollars for the book, and then when you hit back, it goes, do you want U.S. shipping, which is five bucks, or international, that's eighteen. Mm-hmm. I do it that way. I've not heard a single complaint in the Kickstarters that I've done. I do it that way too. Yep. Um, not saying you necessarily do or don't, or you can include it in the price for yeah. for domestic. International is super expensive. It is. Um, for the hardcover book, our international shipping charge was uh, 30 bucks. is what we charged. Um, yep. yeah, it is. It's always more than you think of it. And here's the thing. You are going to be shipping out, what, six months from now, a year from now? International shipping prices crazy fluctuate because the world is crazy right now. Yep. Um, and they can suddenly it's be like, oh, it's now 80 bucks to ship a book to Russia. Um, you know those two Russian backers that you had? You just lost a bunch of money on them. Um, and these things happen. And to add on, your backers may not be understanding mm-hmm. so many messages yep. about how I'm robbing people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it is something to be aware of. It's, it's a big topic. I know you have a question. We had one in the... You had one? Yeah. Um, you were talking about social goals and stretch goals. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel there's a happy medium of doing both? Oh, I always do both. I just don't like stretch goals that cost money. Yeah. Don't don't chip T-shirts. You're not selling T-shirts. You're not, selling a game. Don't thank chip you. Posters. Thank uh, you. Dice are like. Oh, I still don't like them. Those little fuckers. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's, we'll, we'll get anything that's not your game. Don't. Yeah. And even writing additional content will it'll take a lot of your time. So if if you don't budget it, if it will equal money. $1,000 seems like so much money when you're promising things, yeah. but it's nothing when you're actually doing the work to fulfill things. When, again, you could have made that stretch goal something that you were doing anyway. Here, here's here's the, the, the thing with, with stretch goals. I'm, I'm going to give you another, another magic formula, and it's really, really simple. Um, when a stretch goal triggers, you should never decrease uh, your profitability. Yes. Ever. Yes. Ever. So you need to have, and this is the business side, but you need to have the big spreadsheets of what it's going to cost me. And if I am projecting that I'm going to have 32% profit on my project, whatever this number is, okay? If I'm projecting I'm going to do that, when I jump over the $20,000 mark and I agree that I'm going to run a pizza party at Gen Con, if that drops my, my projected to 31%, even at $20,001, your stretch goal is wrong. Do not do it. Stretch goals should not be costing you money. They should be added benefits. Uh, I highly encourage to keep them as much as you can as things that do not cost you money. Yeah. Because uh, like, that is where people honestly really lose themselves and go underwater is in stretch goals. My, the best stretch goal in the world um, is, hey, if you back it, if we get to this stretch goal, there's going to be a picture of Jim McClure dying in this book. Right. Um, and hey, guess what? Why does that stretch goal? That stretch goal? That picture was in the book anyway. Because I love to commission art before dying. <laughs> you hit an innocent man. <laughs> Kill him. Kill him with my stretch goal. We've no. had we've had a couple more questions. So, so yeah. You wanna... So and but you're gonna do it anyway. You're just well, telling them that they get it when the stretch goal is. A lot hit. of projects, you know, advocate for additional cards or better minis and things like that. Those are obviously things that would increase cost, but they also improve the quality of the products. So, that is why you stick to that percentage number because what's going to happen is between $15,000 and $20,000 at $19,000 suddenly my profit might be 36%. Okay? I can go back down to 32% to increase that. We've had a couple questions that are asked. I want to you first. You said about shipping 
um, you, you add it to the cost initially or to the backing initially and you don't, what does Kickstarter count towards your goal? Do they count the amount? They count the shipping as well. They do they count, the, count shipping. the shipping. Yes, they do. Um, which so it's an artificially reached goal. No, because you're you're making the goal it, like it's such a yeah. fucking wildfire. It's more math <laughs> yeah. than you have you're to adding, do. If you're saying international shipping is eighteen dollars, right. whether you add it to the initial backing or you add it at the end, and you're, you're still right. getting the eighteen dollars that you include shipping and distribution in your goal. yeah. Okay. Like I in the in my spreadsheet, it's, it includes the the chunk that Kickstarter kicks out, and and that still helps me get to that it minimum. Counts in your goal. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, you're, you're also it, you're like, and it's estimated, but like, mm -hmm. let's say you know you, you've you've worked out the shipping, like roughly what you think it'll be, five thousand dollars if I were to do it on my own, or five thousand dollars if it wasn't an extra add-on, and that is part of your final number. And I'll tell you my my formula on this to help you some because I, I think your question is a very valid one, which is essentially if I if my backing goal is five thousand dollars, okay, and it's I'm not charging anything for domestic, I'm charging thirty dollars a person for international, okay, and everyone that backs is domestic versus everyone that backs is international, suddenly my costs are thrown way off because I've only sold much less books to get to uh, to $5,000? It's a very good question. Uh, my formula, I do not know this is universal. I only have this from the subjective data that I have from about four to five Kickstarters is in the RPG Kickstarter world for the individual reach that Jim McClure has, I find international shipping represents 20 to 25% of my total backers. Those are the numbers that I am encountering. I can't promise that's the numbers you all are going to encounter. That's what I am seeing based on, on my reach and my audience. I don't know who had the next one, but there's a hand back there, and we'll, we'll come back up to you. This kind of piggybacks onto that. So to get around the shipping problem, what I see some people do is they do not include shipping in the Kickstarter, and it's added again in the backer kit. Do you recommend that? If you want gray hairs. <laughs> um, so so in backer kit, when you check out through backer kit, uh, you can uh, elect to, like, do add-ons or like when, when, when you're essentially it's putting in your address it's like there are add-ons and things but there's also shipping can be included and some people will, will go in they're expecting to just be like your total result is, is zero dollars because everything was paid for in the Kickstarter you can have uh, your total result is uh, seven dollars because now you're paying for shipping uh, <sighs> It's okay. I, like, I, I, I have mixed feelings about it. Like, because sometimes I'm buying something domestically and I'm like, ugh, shipping. I think that the backers who are already enraged that when I upfront told them you're going to be paying $30 shipping, and in some cases it's not going to cover all the places you want to ship to Australia and Japan. Mm -hmm. um, Bulgaria. But, but that, but that's why some people have Brazil. Brazil. Place, but by the same token, some people then get pissed off because they're, they're paying more later on. Yeah, why am I yeah. paying $30 now? Let, let, let's, let's break down just super quick what that is, and then we're going to go you, you. Um, uh, and then I think that's probably going to have to call it after that. We're already okay. 10 minutes past, um, but I'm glad we have a lot of good discussion. Um, what, what you just brought up, which is if I charge at the end, then I can essentially you know make the cost true to what they are. Um, that is something that is making it easier on you, the business that is running the Kickstarter, and more painful on the customer. 
The other way is just the opposite. I'm going to charge you $25. I don't know what international shipping is going to be in a year when my book ships out. I'm going to charge you $25. Bucks and I'm going to eat whatever the difference is. Mm-hmm. Now I've made it easy and upfront for the customer and taking the pain on me. And that is the trade-off that you're getting. My honest recommendation to you is make it as easy as possible for the customer. And the people, and there's been a couple really, really big people, their name were mentioned earlier, who have done Kickstarters that have done pay at the end. And what they have said essentially in conventions like this when you're sitting around the bar is, I will never, ever, ever do that again because all of a sudden it was a, well, I backed your book, but rent's tight this month. I don't have the $20 for shipping. How are you going to get me my book? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I, I would say avoid it if you can. Uh, we, we've got two more. Because, I'm sorry, it's just mm-hmm. sure. about that. If they change their mind and say they don't have the money, can they then go back and, and negate their it is between you and them at that point. Kickstarter won't get involved with it uh, unless it gets really escalated up. So now you are literally having to deal with this on a personal one-by-one backer level, and that's why they swear that they won't. You can't. You can refund them, but it's like a lot of logistical work yep. for you. Yeah. Or you can take the money and run, but they're going to be super mad. <laughs> Two last questions, and then anyone who wants to grab me in the hallway after is welcome to. does their like ridiculous number of stretch mm-hmm. goals like they've clearly already modeled out yep. all of that um how do you feel about where you're basically selling expansion material as stretch goals i hate it like i because it's stealing money it, from me but and i need that money <laughs> me. <laughs> but like where where's the balance there between like is it actually a stretch goal, or are you just mining people for money? Like, it just, it feels... You're not well, mining. You're not uh, mining. What you're doing is actually shooting yourself in the foot for expansion materials. Okay. That expansion can be its own Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. One project that I look towards, because I love it a lot, is Dragoon. Dragoon made a game... Based on the old PS1 RPG? No. Uh, it is, really it is the prettiest, it is the prettiest, like, board game that I have seen in the past couple years. Uh, go check it out. You know, the Dragoon guys were here. It's, it's a lovely, lovely game. Uh, they made a good game that looked good. Uh, they kickstarted it next year. They had an expansion for that game. Uh, they kickstarted that, and they also would sell copies of Dragoon through that Kickstarter. Uh, so they funded a second print run and the expansion. If you were somebody who backed the original Kickstarter, you could get just the expansion. Um, or if you were finding out about it for the second time, you could get Dragoon. So you can sell your product all over again and have all of the like success and fanfare of Kickstarter all over again. Why would you cheat yourself out of right. that? Because you're zombie side and you're crazy. If I did I, this again, I would have probably wrapped all that, my stretch goals into that was a pledge expansion. Level in the, like for the second print, mm-hmm. it was like as a pledge level. It's a pledge level. So like if you're like, I want, uh, I want. Uh, the expansion thirty five dollars. I want old. I want old dragoon a hundred dollars or no, no old dragoon is like fifty dollars. I want uh, dragoon in the expansion seventy five dollars. So, and you get to sell your first product all over again, and all the work on that is done. Mm. It's awesome. And if you're interested again, grabbing the hallway after because I actually have a counterpoint to that. I'm not a hundred percent sold on that. Uh, there's there's there's. Jim cost, and I'll fight about it. There's cost benefit. Uh, there's good and bad on both sides. Did you have already one? Already answered it. Perfect. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank, Thank you. you for all the questions. Thank you. Uh, I would like to have your business card. Absolutely. The, I'm the worst because.